On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire left. Like a path, they clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and welcome to Season 5. And Kicking off this season of the podcast is, a, is an old favorite to the show. Uh, Chief Scott is here with us. He's got a remarkable story to share. Uh, Chief, go ahead and uh, just remind the listeners a little bit about your background, and then go ahead and jump in and tell us about these three calls in three weeks. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm Scott DePino, uh, chief out in Dix Hills, uh, Long Island, and I'm also uh, one of the police medic coordinators for the Nancy County Police Department. I've been doing EMS and uh, been in the fire service probably the good side of 25 years now. Been a paramedic for most of that and uh, a firefighter and now a chief. Uh, be it voluntarily, it's super busy. And um, a lot of my stories actually come from uh, the volunteer fire service out here because unlike most places, we don't have uh, a paid entity that you know, services the community. It's done predominantly by volunteers. And we have one person, a paid paramedic, 24 hours a day, uh, that responds on like a, a fly car. And uh, they kind of stop the clock for us while the volunteers uh, assemble a crew and show up to the house. We use a call-in system. There's all sorts of stuff uh, that was put in place a couple of years ago uh, when they needed to really uh, quantify who was responding to these calls and make sure the crews were assembled. And the, the county stepped in with REMAC and REMSCO, and uh, they really uh, solidified a really solid EMS system that's predominantly built on volunteers, which is unheard of in uh, in the tri-state area anyway, especially living next to one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country being you know New York City. Uh, so yeah, we had uh, an amazing three weeks about a year and a half ago. And um, pregnancy calls are one of those things that 
you learn about in school and sometimes you don't get much exposure to. When you do, uh, a lot of people kind of uh, turn it into like a run and gun situation that you're kind of trying to get that person to the hospital as quick as possible, maybe legs closed before the baby comes. And as I progressed through my career, because I started in New York City and some of uh, the communities that really leaned on EMS, uh, as some of their primary healthcare providers out in the street, I saw more and more calls that maybe you wouldn't see in, say, a rural place. And a lot of them were emergencies like obstetrical emergencies. I was lucky because I had several baby deliveries when I worked in the city. And then when I got my job out in the uh, suburbs, which is kind of like the sixth borough at this point on Long Island, I still worked in a community that really leaned on EMS heavily and continued with my exposure to all sorts of calls. But OB was uh, definitely one of those things that we saw pretty frequently. So uh, one night and out here in uh, the volunteer fire service, we get woken up by a pager or a beeper. Uh, it went off in the middle of the night and we get activated for a pregnant female and cardiac arrest. I was half asleep and I swore that I did not hear that. When I looked at my phone, which actually gives you all the county printout information because I'm one of the chief officers, it indeed was coded as a pregnant female, 35 years old in cardiac arrest. Uh, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, acuity scale that rates in your life, but that's pretty high on mine. Uh, and she lived four blocks from me. Yeah, that would that would definitely wake me up. Oh, I'll yeah. tell you that. So <laughs> jumped in my car and um, the board of fire commissioners here decided that when I became chief, because I was a paramedic, they were going to give me all the equipment in my vehicle. That was their choice. I told them, if you buy it, I'll carry it. Uh, they did that. And uh, it's actually paid dividends, I think, to the community. And it is paid dividends to me too, because there's nothing worse than having a skill set and showing up and not having the tools to perform. And they gave me the tools. I show up in front of a house and there's a guy who is running in the house, full sprint. Uh, I met this man later and figured out that it was actually this woman's husband. So the story goes as this. This is their uh, third kid. Everything was going happy and healthy. And because it's kind of an old salt, you know, they're used to having kids around the house. Uh, third pregnancy. Uh, I have three kids of my own. The third one, you were just kind of, you know, when they come, they come. And when his wife got up and kind of said she wasn't feeling well and had some abdominal pain and this was not really a big deal because they had been through this two times before. Uh, five minutes later, when he heard crash, boom, bang in the bathroom, and he walked in there and saw his wife not breathing on the floor, obviously it took it up to a different level. So this gentleman is a New York City fireman, uh, very gifted, very put together given the situation, decides that he's going to run out to his car and grab his old tech bag that he actually still carried with him for when he went hunting and stuff like that, when you got cut scrapes and boo-boos. And he ran back in the house because he had a bag valve mask in there and he wanted to use it. Simultaneously calls 911 and I caught him running back in the house with this orange bag. Apparently, he had taken uh, the liberty of pulling his wife kind of half in and half out of the doorway of the bathroom and she just looked absolutely terrible. Uh, we did an exam. It was me and then the paid paramedic showed up. She had barely any blood pressure. She did have a heartbeat, wasn't breathing very well. And we got the story that she was nine months pregnant. She was due to deliver in two weeks. And I did a quick exam and noticed that she had a lot of blood around her vaginal area. And I was immediately concerned. We started extricating her from the house when the volunteer crew started showing up. And we in Suffolk County, in this agency specifically, have RSI. We made the decision to RSI her because we wanted to protect her airway. And 
luckily we have a hospital that has like a lot of services that's pretty close. One of the rare times we took him with us, he was relatively insistent and I can understand why. Brought her down to the hospital and it actually ended up that she had abrupto placenta, which is something that you really don't see too much in the field. Or even if you see it, you don't really see someone in that grave of condition from it. Uh, the doctors were very, very appreciative that we went through all the steps, two IVs, uh, intubating her and gave a great report. They ended up doing a uh, like a crash cesarean section. They uh, delivered the baby. The baby ended up being happy and healthy. Uh, the mother went up for two or three separate surgeries that night and ended up surviving. So a couple of weeks later, they live across a neighbor of mine who we have a basketball team in common. And uh, when I was picking up their son to go to practice, uh, the firefighter husband came out, saw my chief's truck, and he started interfacing with me like, you're the guy, like that was you. And I said, well, I said, it was really you. You called, you know, you got us here. And he's like, he's like, dude, uh, you got to meet the baby. And I got to meet the baby and, and the mom had just come home. Pretty cool stuff. And that was number one. So you think that that's kind of the top of the heap. Like, you know, you kind of skirted disaster. You got there in time and hey, you know, happy, healthy baby, happy, healthy mom. I mean, obviously someone with that kind of condition can go super sideways and uh, it stayed on track and it all worked out. So Scott, let me let me stop you for a second. Uh, a couple of terms that you use that I think some folks listening may not understand. Two things. One, RSI, maybe you can explain that just a little bit. And then uh, the abrupto placente, if you could uh, explain that as well. Yeah, sure. So RSI is rapid sequence intubation. There are different agencies throughout the country that do it. Mostly it's resided in hospital or in aeromedical situations. In Suffolk County in like 2014, 15, they started to bring it out to the street. The Stony Brook paramedics did it on the helicopter for a while, and they decided that the street guys should have it. They piloted a couple agencies, and one of them was my fire department. Uh, we had the equipment, the funding, the know-how, and the, uh, the staffing to be able to do it. So we were one of the, I think, first five in the county to do it. And we've actually become one of the premier agencies kind of like on the cutting edge of everything. Uh, we have now, I actually have my chief truck, believe it or not, I have a vent. And uh, there's actually a vent on the paramedic vehicle also. Uh, that's how far we've come. And uh, we perform in Dix Hills probably about 25 RSIs a year, which is a lot. And in Suffolk County, I think they do somewhere between 100 and 150 total, including the helicopter. Uh, we have a large district and we get a lot of pretty high acuity calls. And we always have a person that's on staff, either paid or volunteer, that's qualified to perform the skills. So if it's required, we can do it. And RSI, you're, you're basically giving drugs to, to knock somebody out so that you can place an airway. Yeah. And that's what I was just going to say. So you have to paralyze somebody. You have to sedate them. You have to have all sorts of kinds, kinds of medications, training. You have to recertify every year. And uh, we also had to go out and buy video laryngoscopes and all sorts of stuff that maybe a normal agency wouldn't have. So uh, but this was a definitive care for this lady that obviously made a huge difference. Uh, abrupto placenta is interesting. So your placenta that supplies nutrients back and forth to the baby, um, it can kind of get dislodged. And uh, in this case, it got really dislodged. And in that case, you can have blood and stuff like that that would kind of pool in uh, all the, uh, the uteral area and stuff like that. And that's the blood I obviously saw on the floor. And it's also the reason why her blood pressure was terrible because she had lost a lot of volume. And I guess the baby must have been occluding it enough, but when the baby probably moved around, it unoccluded it. Hence, she had her event. So 
Very lucky too that her husband was home because if she wasn't, if he wasn't home, you know, an outcome could have been, you know, really devastatingly terrible. Yeah, su- um, super dangerous situation for both the mom and the baby. Yeah, and uh, it was. I have to again credit the hospital as I have in the last. It's sometimes everything works out. Well, the, the next one uh, we're kind of reveling from that, and we get dispatched to another OB call, and I show up to this OB call, and the paid paramedic when I walk in, senior guy, like thirty years on his card, looks at me. He goes, "We got to go," and I was like, "What?" We have to go. I mean, this guy never panics. He's like, yeah, she's got terrible abdominal pain. She feels like a ripping sensation. She's eight and a half months pregnant. And it was a really unique situation because this girl was actually carrying as a surrogate the baby for her sister who couldn't have children. So this was like a super important pregnancy. This It had to succeed. She, again, no blood pressure, uh, had a little bit of blood uh, upon examining her. And she wanted to go to some hospital that was in New York City. was impossible, obviously. We ended up taking her to the same hospital that we took the lady the week before. Again, all hands on deck. And she ended up having placenta previa, which was, I mean, these are things in the textbook you hear about. I mean, to see both of those things in two weeks was like unheard of. And I found that out because, as you guys know from listening to me speak in the past, I usually follow up. This was a placenta previa case. We didn't require intubation or anything like that, but it definitely required fluid resuscitation and it required rapid transport to the right place that could deliver the baby. And they did again, did a C-section. They addressed the mom's concerns and everything was, again, healthy healthy and happy. Uh, We actually got a beautiful letter from her and her sister thanking us because the doctor said that there was like a 10 to 20 minute window that there would have been irreparable damage to the fetus in utero if she wasn't brought to the right place and the baby wasn't delivered uh, at that time. So, I mean, I was like, wow, this is like two successful, super successful OB cases in two weeks. Like what could get better than, you know, what we've gone through? Well, the next week in the middle of the night, we get activated for the third OB call in three weeks. And It seems unsurmountable, but the only thing in my career that I've really kept track of is how many babies I've been involved in delivering. And I was stuck at 49 for a long time. So it's an incredible number and it's almost unbelievable. I don't deliver babies. They obviously deliver themselves. But, you know, being a supervisor at work and having a full purchase point of a county, being a a fire chief in a very busy place, and then having my New York City experience, it's kind of given me a lot of uh, exposure to be there kind of for the quote unquote, you know, big jobs and, you know, baby deliveries and OB calls are kind of big jobs. So um, I show up and there's a lady who meets me in the street and the first person there and I could hear her yelling her head off from the front door. And I go upstairs and I met who uh, I'd later uh, make a really great connection with I met a young lady who was her second kid and she stared me dead in the eyes and she said, second child, the first one, five minutes. That's all it took. And it came out. And I said, well, I guess we're here. Let's do this. And uh, within two minutes, uh, she delivered a beautiful baby boy. Incredible stuff. Uh, That was number 50. And I couldn't have been happier. She was over the moon that we got there so quickly. I was just happy I got there so quickly because when I heard the five minute number, I was like, holy moly, it's like, this is game time. Uh, but everyone showed up because you know how those calls go. You usually get a lot of hands that show up because they all want to help out and be part 
of, uh, you know, I guess it's life's miracles. And uh, my department's pretty good. They all showed up and uh, we took her also to the same hospital. So that's three weeks. The, the nursing staff, because these kind of all happened after hours, is usually the same. And when I walked in with the third one, the doctor just shook his head. He goes, what goes on in your town? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. I said, but at least I'm bringing you happy endings. And he goes, this one's the best one of all. And I have to agree with him. I mean, this was the most straightforward, uh, obviously the most rewarding. And uh, this mom and dad actually pursued us afterwards. And they wanted to come down. They actually had the grandmother crochet a firefighter's outfit and brought the baby down when uh, the baby was 12 weeks old uh, to meet us all and took pictures with us. And um, it, the story had a little interesting plot twist. Uh, they reached out when they were uh, the baby turned one and they wanted to meet us again, took a bunch of pictures, put them online. Two, we got a little cake for the baby. It was great. Uh, of course, you got to buy the baby a fire truck. So uh, we had to get the brother a fire truck, too, because you got to be uh, even with both. I was told that day, unfortunately, that um, the father had cancer and um, it really devastated me because he was such an amazing man and um, he had end stage cancer. And he just died about three months ago. And one of the first calls that she made to reach out for support from the community was to me and the crew that helped deliver that baby. And I, I've said it before, sometimes life and it just, it, it blows you away. And for her to think of us and me uh, as a support mechanism in the community to help her through probably one of the most terrible times of her life, losing her husband and now having two young boys to raise uh, was for me extremely fulfilling. And, uh, I'm still to this day, happy to be part of her life and text back and forth, Merry Christmas and happy new year. And, um, I hope that, uh, our relationship continues to grow and maybe one day there'll be, uh, maybe there'll be firefighters and EMTs in my department because they don't live far from the station. And, uh, we stop by at Christmas. We do that Santa run around, make all the noise, drive the neighbors crazy. And, uh, they were out and about waving and hooting and hollering and, you know, great stuff. But although it had a little bit of a sad ending with, you know, their, their father passing, I mean, to have three opportunities to make an amazing difference in someone's life and seeing the team come together again from, you know, the initial person who calls, whether it's a family member, a bystander, uh, to the crew that shows up, to the staff in the hospital. I mean, sometimes, you know, we could do great work, like I said in the past, when the team comes together. And uh, this is three times in three weeks. Luckily, we didn't have a fourth in four weeks. Uh, that would have been a bit much. But So I'm still stuck at 50. <laughs> I'll go back to something you said earlier, and I think it, it I think it rings true. You said, you know, you worked, and I remember when I worked in New York City, you do feel a little different about the community that, that you work in, and you recognize that, you know, you may be somebody's only form of health care. So I, I think it, it kind of makes sense in a way that when something devastating happened in this woman's life that she reached out to you guys because of that connection, because you are the healthcare, you were there when the child was born, you've, you've supported the family before. And I think that really says a lot about, about you and says a lot about your department that you are truly embedded in the community and not just there to provide a service, but really those wraparound services and you're there to support your community members. Yeah, definitely. And we, this is a really unique place because it's kind of 30 square miles in the middle of Long Island. It's still green and there's churches and parks and so forth. It's a lot of, it's 27,000 residents we have. Some tremendous houses. Uh, we go from millions of dollars down to, you know, your regular house on Long Island. 
Uh, but we don't have a downtown. You know, where I grew up in Westbury, we had a downtown. You could go to Post Avenue and go to Maria's. You could go to the pizza store. We really don't have that here. So the community and the neighbors all really rely heavily. If you're not in a PTA or on the local baseball team or the basketball team or in the church or the fire department, um, you kind of don't have a connection. So I think that when these people move, and she did move from a community that was a little bit tighter, uh, she had a uh, Hispanic uh, upbringing like my father did. And Hispanic people are extremely tight knit with their family and their community. From my experience in my own life, I think she was seeking some of that out. And I hope she found some of it with us. Um, I know she keeps in touch and she's a, she's a very strong, great woman. So I wish her all the best. And uh, I'm looking forward to maybe celebrating two and three and four birthdays with them. And we'll see what happens. Uh, I know that my fellow EMTs and firemen are, so it's uh, it's all great stuff. And the other two families actually still keep in touch. The guy who lives across the street, the original one, the first one, um, they actually sent me an amazing gift card, which was not necessary. And I actually took some of my fellow responders out to eat um, and sent me pictures and, uh, you know, thank yous. And also the other, the other lady in the middle um, – I saw a picture of the baby the other day and her sister is over the moon that she finally has what she's been trying to have for her whole life. And now she has her own child that she can raise and love. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool that we were part of that. So three calls, three weeks, three good stories. And I'm still stuck at 50. So we'll see, uh, <laughs> see if I get to 51 at some point. And I'd imagine now you guys probably have a budget line for for birthday parties and and events based on the calls you shared when you were previously on the podcast. And now these three, you're probably going broke buying gifts. The chief's office is very good to our constituents who we help. I mean, especially if you reach out to us, we reach back out to you. And uh, I've said it in the past. There's no greater gift, I think, than to help somebody. But I think by helping somebody and getting that positive feedback, they actually help you. And they help you solidify knowing what you do is making a difference, knowing what you do matters, it's worth it, and that you can persevere through the tough times to get to the good times and get to the rewarding calls that truly will stick with you for a lifetime. Let me ask you one more thing. Uh, since you have such a unique community, I know volunteers are you know few and far between these days, right? All the volunteer departments are always looking for folks, even EMS as a whole. People are you know paramedics are in a shortage, and 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 you know institutions like mine are looking to put classes on to train people because there is such a need. But are you seeing the same shortage in volunteers in Dix Hills uh, that you know maybe the rest of Long Island is seeing, uh, or or because of the type of community that you have? Do you have a, a good supply of volunteers or folks who want to volunteer and be a part of the fire department? I think we have a good supply of volunteers, but our volunteer demographic definitely has changed. I mean, I remember when I was younger, it was a lot of young kids running around. We hung out at the firehouse or the ambulance station all the time. And that's what we did in between going out and partying, going to school, going to college or whatever. Uh, the demographic here in Dix Hills is kind of a little different. It's a lot of legacy people, meaning like their dad was a member and now their sons or daughters are members. Um, it's also people who move to the community and are looking to give back. And we have a very good cross-section of retired people. One of my favorite people in the department is uh, a girl who is a retired nurse. And uh, she retired because um, her kids had some needs that she wanted to be home to address. And uh, now they're off, gone to college and out of the house. And she was looking for something to do. She came down to the firehouse, became an EMT. She's one of the most valuable assets we have. When does she come to calls during the day, which is difficult because people you know, who live in this community need to work. 
So we have a good cross-section of retired school teachers. Uh, we have uh, we had a deacon at one point. We have doctors, lawyers, people who work for the power company, cops, firemen. It's a good cross-section, and I think that that diversity in our department, um, even across religions uh, in our department, really affords us a unique opportunity to have a lot of people. I think our rescue squad's got like 110 people in it, which is unheard of these days. And also, in order to advance in my department into the chief's office or whatever, you have to be an EMT. They still hold you to that or higher. And you also have to be a member of the rescue squad for five years. So if you want to have a vested interest in moving forward in my department, you have to have a vested interest in the ambulance, which is kind of counterintuitive to how most fire departments work these days. You know, firefighting is some of the most rewarding stuff that I've done. It's fun. It's um, challenging. You don't, but you don't get to do it that often as codes have gotten better and sprinklers and houses uh, reporting cell phones. I mean, you just don't get the fires like we used to, but God knows we get the ambulance calls. And um, we're very fortunate too, because our burnout rate in Dix Hills is a little lower because we only have one nursing home, which is a sunrise assisted living. My favorite to deal with stretcher fits everywhere and the paperwork's always ready. And we have a couple of doctor's offices that don't abuse us or beat us up. Um, I know some other communities uh, to the north and south of us, they really have a tough time between skilled nursing facilities, doctor's offices, uh, a lot of commercial establishments and stuff like that that just kind of call all the time. And that really takes a toll on volunteers because when it comes down to it, volunteers want to go to churches, schools, their neighbors' homes. They want to go to the big calls on the parkways and the expressways. They don't want to go to a nursing home. They don't want to do that. That's for a proprietary service in many people's eyes to handle. And uh, that's not an hour one call. Granted, sometimes it can be, and you gotta you gotta see through all that. But um, I think that's what keeps our community unique. It's what kept our volunteer service here strong. And um, I think last year we handled 97% of our calls with volunteer ambulance crews. Uh, we do have a couple of paid people filter around, especially during the daytime hours, to fill in the gaps because God knows we can get five calls at the same time. But uh, in general, we do pretty well. Well, Scott, thank you for thank you for kicking off season five with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure you have more stories, and I'll probably hit you up somewhere down the road to come on and share another one. Or when something incredible happens to you, just give me a buzz and let me know, and we'll have you back. But you're always welcome. Always great stories, and it's it's great to catch up with you again. Awesome, Phil. Thank you so much for what you're doing for us, and uh, stay safe. Happy New Year. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you enjoy. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. Show notes are written by Jennifer Rowick. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this show, please visit storiesfromtheroadpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.